So each Sunday, before we begin here, we have prayer partners that are right up here um, after each service. I want to keep reminding you of that because um, if you need prayer, um, they're there for you. And they'll be there every single Sunday after both first and second service. So we're beginning a new series this morning called Come and See. Come and see. In the last series, we challenged you. We were, it was a constant challenge to take the next step in your spiritual growth. To take the next step in your spiritual journey. Um, we encouraged you, like we always do, to become more like Jesus Christ. But then we started thinking. Um, it's hard to encourage people to become more like Jesus Christ if a lot of those people may not know what Jesus Christ was like. Right? I, I've been a Christian for a long time now, and I, I forget what it was like when I first came to Christ, or when I was a young, a baby Christian, and, and uh, so when we talk about becoming more like Jesus Christ, conforming to the image of Jesus Christ, a lot of people kind of know what that means. They're like, well, well I become a better person, I, I do nicer things. But we really don't know what it means to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. Throughout the Bible, Jesus encourages people to come and see. He says, come and see. He encourages them to follow him, to actually learn from him. So many people, honestly, in churches go through, if you will, the spiritual motions you know, the, the spiritual, it's like the spiritual motions, but they don't actually see, they only glance. And I wrote this sermon, and then I was at a, um, it was a play for a couple of my grandkids. And Eleanor was there, and she was sitting next to me, and there were all the adults, like, you know, waiting for the play to start. And I was talking to a couple, I was talking to Jen, and, and, uh, and Eleanor said, Pops, Pops, look at my new shoes, look at my new shoes. And you know, that happens all the time. As a grandparent, you want to, you know, acknowledge. So I literally, I just, yeah, oh, that's great. They're awesome. And I turned back and started talking to Jen. Eleanor, being Eleanor, said, no, Pop, Pops, actually look. <laughs> I glanced. I didn't see. She says, no, actually, actually Look. So this morning, what I want to challenge all of us to do is actually look. And I want to start with his call to discipleship. Jesus Christ called to discipleship. What is he actually calling us to? We say, we're going to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. We want to be a follower of Jesus Christ. So what is he calling us to, to? Before you can be like him, you, you need to understand what it means to be a, a friend of Jesus. You need to understand what it actually means to be a follower. And I, I think the 21st century church, and it probably started long before the 21st century, it did. Um, I think we've, we, we've, we've started losing our way. Honestly, we started losing our way. The early church under, understood what it meant to actually to follow him. To, to sacrifice for him, to be used by him, to give of themselves for him. I mean, you think of, you know, now it's like people, Christians want to be, uh, they want to, they want a platform, they want to be celebrities. And I remember Robbie Zacharias saying, Christian celebrity is an oxymoron. Because who were the celebrities years and years ago? Martyrs. 
You became a celebrity because you gave up your life for Jesus Christ. Now it's, you know, who's got the biggest this and who's got the most famous that and who can do this and, you know, all those kinds of things. But, but you know, martyrdom made you a celebrity in Christianity. They, uh, they understood the concept of radical self-sacrifice. And that's something I really think that we're losing. So let me, let me share a story that I found to illustrate. On a dangerous sea coast where shipwrecks were frequent, a, cru- a, a crude little life-saving station was built. The building was just a hut and there, were only, there was only one boat, but the few devoted crewmen kept a constant watch over the sea. With no thought for themselves, they went out day or night tirelessly searching for anyone who might need their help. Many lives were saved by their efforts. After a while, the station, this life-saving station became famous. Some of those who were saved, as well as others in the surrounding area, wanted to become part of this amazing work. They gave time and money for its support. New boats were bought. Additional crews were trained. And the little station grew. Some of the members became unhappy that the building was so crude. They felt it, uh, that a larger, nicer place would be more appropriate at the, at the, at the first, for the first refuge for those who were saved from the sea. So they replaced the emergency cots and the hospital beds, and they put in better furniture in the larger building. Soon the station became a popular gathering place for its members to discuss work and to visit with one another. They continued to remodel and decorate until the station more and more took on the look and character of a club. Fewer members were interested in going out on life-saving missions, so they hired professional crews to do the work on their behalf. The life-saving motif was still, would still prevail on the club's emblems and stationery, but there was a cere- and there was a ceremonial lifeboat in the room where the club held its initiations. One day, a large ship was wrecked off the coast, and the hired crews brought in, brought in many boatloads of cold, wet, half-drowned people. They were dirty and bruised and sick, and many were different from the people in the club. The beautiful new club was terribly messed up. And so the property committee immediately had a shower, a shower house built outside where the shipwreck victims victims could come and be cleaned up before coming inside. At the next meeting, I'm just going to stop right there. When I was a youth pastor in Marblehead, Massachusetts, someone literally said to me, these kids you're bringing in, they're foul mouthed, they're kind of nasty, whatever. They said, clean them up and then bring them in. Clean them up. At the next meeting, there was, a, there was a split in the club membership. Most of the members wanted to stop the club's life-saving activities altogether because they were so unpleasant and hindered the normal social life of the club. Some members insisted on keeping life-saving as their primary purpose and pointed, pointed out that after all, they were still called a life-saving station. But those members were voted down and told that if they wanted to save lives, they could begin their own station somewhere along the coast, down the coast. As the years went by, the new station gradually faced the same problems the other one had experienced. It too became a club, and its life-saving work became less and less of a priority. 
A few members who remain dedicated, uh, dedicated, uh, dedicated themselves to the life-saving effort. They were in turn, they in turn began another station. History continue, continued to repeat itself, and if you visit that coast today, you'll find a number of exclusive clubs along the shore. Shipwrecks are still frequent in those waters, but most of the people just drown. To me, that sometimes or often represents the 21st century church. We are called as a church, as the body of Jesus Christ, to be a life-saving station. But so many churches have turned into social clubs designed to entertain their attenders. I love what happened up here. This morning, thanks to, I don't know what was going off over here. I was over here. I could hear it pretty loud. And what do we do? Plowed, sing louder. They're not here to entertain you. Right? They're not here to, you didn't, you didn't come to be entertained and pay to be entertained. We're here to worship God, right? That's why we do this. So we just sing louder over whatever bleep that goes wrong. Who cares? If all the music went out this morning, we'd still sing, right? Yeah, because we're not here to be entertained. But that's what happens sometimes. We, we become entertainers. And, and a lot of people right now are thinking, well, yeah, see those mega churches. That, I'm not talking about mega churches. It's so easy to point the figure at someone else and say, yeah, it's those big mega churches. That's the problem. We, we as the church in general, okay, we as a church in general have forgotten our primary mission. To love the Lord our God with all of our heart and all of our soul and all of our mind and all of our strength and to love our neighbor as ourselves. We can't become just a social club, a gathering place for people of like mind who may be politically like-minded. The Bible says that Jesus, knowing that he was going to die, chose 12 disciples. He chose 12 people. He picked, he picked out his followers, right? And then he equipped them. And then he convinced them that through his power, he convinced these men that through his power, they could carry on his dynamic work when he was gone. He, he, he chose them, he equipped them, and then he convinced them that they could do what he was doing. He was going to invest in them. When he left, he was going to give them power. We talked about it last week, right? We come and we celebrate Easter and the resurrection of Jesus and everybody's happy. Why? Why? I was talking to someone this week who goes to church and they said, Thank you, God, that we had a sermon last week, an Easter sermon, that not just celebrated... Easter and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, but the why behind it. Because we are filled with the spirit of the living God, the resurrection power of Jesus Christ flows through us and we can do the things that he's called us to do. So he called them, he equipped them, and then he convinced them that in his power they could do the dynamic things that he had been doing. He calls them to establish a life-saving station, if you will. He called them to reach out to those who were drowning all around them at work. At school, in your neighborhoods, people are drowning, they're lost. And Jesus Christ calls us to reach out to those people. He he calls us, he called them, and he calls us to do the exact same thing. 
Throughout this series, my my goal is going to be to help you become more like Jesus Christ and to continue his life-giving and life-saving work. That's our responsibility. If you come to Grace Chapel, I promise you, you will not be bored, okay? I promise you. We want to, as a church, fulfill the call that God has upon our lives. It was God who established Grace Chapel. It is God who's brought us all together here with our unique gifts and talents and abilities. It is God who's laid out our vision and our future for us. All we need to do is follow. All we need to do is listen. All we need to do is obey. So in Matthew chapter 4, 18, we read this. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. The first thing that Jesus did was call them. But if we look a little closer... There are three distinct callings here. Three distinct callings. The first is the calling, the calling of the gospel. Okay? The calling to salvation. So he calls them to himself, to the gospel, to, to salvation, a call to salvation. This was not the first time that these men had interacted with Jesus. It's not like they, he walked over, said, drop your nets. They came and followed him. They had an interaction before this. And that in, the first encounter was in John chapter 1. And they asked Jesus, they, you know, John the Baptist says, look, there he is. And they, were, they started following him. And so Jesus turns around and they, and, and they asked him, Jesus, where are you staying? And what does Jesus say? He says, come and see. Come and see. Didn't give him a, come with me, follow me and see. Okay, learn from me. He's going to invest in them. In verse 40, it says that Andrew says to Simon, who's Peter, Peter, we have found him of whom the prophets spoke. We have found the Messiah. Jesus is calling people first and foremost into a personal relationship with him. He's inviting people. Come and see. He's inviting you. Don't just glance. Come and see. Look and look at me. Learn from me. He says, come, come and see. He's inviting people into his life. Here's the thing about Christianity that you have to understand. You, you don't glance at Jesus. You either follow him or you don't. People want to play like, oh yeah, I'm a Christian or, you know, and they, they do the same thing I did to my granddaughter. Look at my new shoes. Oh yeah. You don't glance at Jesus. You either follow him or you don't. What does he say? Something about being lukewarm. I'll spew you out of my mouth. You don't glance. 
You come and you see, you invest. He's calling people to himself through the gospel, to salvation first. The second call is a call to discipleship, to be a learner, right? Sanctification, where as now that you, you got the justification, you come to Christ, and sanctification is an ongoing process, and there's a much larger group of followers in that camp. And then you have the 12 disciples, okay? In Luke, Luke says, he called the 12 who he also called apostles. So he called those 12. Jesus invested a lot of individual time, if you will, into these people. He put a lot of, wherever Jesus was, you could find these 12, all right? Jesus went here, they went with him. He invested a lot of time into this this unique group. They followed him around. They learned from him. They listened to him. They watched him. And I love the fact, I love who he calls. He doesn't just call the, the powerful and the influential, which, if, if from a human standpoint, if you were, this is one of the reasons I believe the Bible is completely true, okay? If you're a human being and you're trying to make up a religion, you don't write this. Just so you know. Okay? You don't. Alright? Every religion has something to do with sex, right? They, if, if you do this, you'll be on a, a, a planet with a bunch of virgins. If you do this, you'll go to whatever with, with a bunch of women. If you, and you're allowed to have sex with all people in the thing. It's all built around my carnal desires or whatever. And I can, you know, I can do this and I'm able to do that. The Bible is the complete opposite, right? Discipline. God says jump. I say how high. God's not concerned with how you feel about what he says. He just says it. Men didn't write this. This wasn't written by men. If it, was, if, it, if it were written by men and it was all made up, Jesus would have called the powerful and he would have called influential. He wouldn't have called some fishermen. But he picks out, out of the twelve, he picked out some fishermen. Then you've got to ask the question, why would, he, why would he choose to pick fishermen? What were their qualities? I started thinking about this. What are the qualities of fishermen? Well, first, fishermen really have to be patient and they have to be relentless sometimes. They need to be patient and relentless. If, if, if you, if you ever fished in your life, you know that sometimes that you need to go out fishing. It takes, you have to sit there for hours. Like if you go fishing for catfish or something, you throw it down there, it hits the bottom and you sit there. If you're lazy, you put a little bell on the end of your pole so you kind of want to read a book or something, you know. But you sit there. It takes patience to do this. Well, I took, I took um, our, our grandkids out fishing, and I have a catching pond. Okay, it's not a fishing pond. Uh, filled with decent, really decent fish. You throw a worm in there, you're going to catch something. And unless, unless, I don't know what would happen, but I've never thrown a worm and not caught something. But I took Layla out there. She's two. And Layla, the way she fished was, we're all lined up with fishing poles. And whosoever pole had the fish on it, that was Layla's pole. Okay, so if you cast it out there and catch something, she runs over and grabs your pole. She wants your pole. So you have to give her your pole. So whatever pole had the fish on it, that was Layla's pole. Okay? She wasn't very patient. She, it, was a, it, was, it was basically no weight fish catching. Okay? This wasn't fishing. This was no weight fish catching. Because whoever in the five or six of us had a fish on their line, that was her pole. Bam, this fishing is awesome. There's always a fish on the line, right? It was, it was great. Fishermen often need to be patient and they need to be relentless. They need to keep going at it. Second, in their case, in, in the case of the, the, the disciples here, these fishermen needed courage. 
Okay, they had they had to have courage in those days. Their little boats were no match for the waves that would pound against them. The Sea of Galilee was treacherous. Okay, it was treacherous. Um, they had vicious storms there. But those fishermen couldn't, couldn't wonder, oh gee, is there going to be a big storm coming up today? I, I may not want to go out. I see some cloud cover over here. They had to go out. They had to catch fish. They were fishermen. This wasn't like me going fishing. I'm like, oh, it's kind of cloudy. Ah, it's kind of wet and nasty. I'm not going to go out. They had to go out. This was their livelihood. They had courage. You ever watch those shows on TV, right? The deadliest catch and those kinds of things. You go out when it's when the season is available, regardless of the weather, because you got to make the catch. So they, it took courage. It took courage. If you're a follower of Jesus, if you want to serve like Him, if if you want to love like Him, you need to have courage. Honestly, because working with people isn't always easy. I know it's a shock to all of you, right? (laughs) Working with people isn't always easy. Honestly, it isn't always convenient. And it's emotionally painful a lot of the time. Whether, for whatever reason, it's emotionally painful. Because you, you're, 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 you're trying to, you're trying to enter into other people's suffering. That's what Jesus did. Jesus was not an outside observer of our suffering. He was a participant with us in our suffering and is now. So if you want to be a follower of Jesus Christ, if you want to be conformed to the image of Christ, then as a pastor, as a, as a lay person who is volunteering, you need not just, oh, hey, you know, the Christian thing, oh, all things work together for good, brother. I'll pray for you isn't that we got to be convicted a little bit of that right someone happens to so-and-so and you're like oh i'll pray for you and then you're just going to walk away and forget about it when you say you're going to pray for someone you need to pray for them not only that what i'm saying is if you want to be conformed to the image of jesus christ you need to enter into their suffering if you really want to pray for someone then you think to yourself what would i feel like if that were me what if that were my child what if that were my spouse what if that were my whatever how would i feel and then you pray then you pray Third, you you need to have knowledge and the ability to adapt. You need to have knowledge and the ability to adapt. That's If you're a fisherman, you need to have knowledge of those fish. And you need to be able to adapt to your environment. You need to know the bait to use for specific fish. If you've ever fished in your life and you've gone somewhere, it's why you have a tackle box. Most people don't go fishing with a pole and a hook and a worm. You go out there and you're like, okay, the day it's a little choppy or it's a little this or it's a little overcast or whatever, or they're not biting on this. So you need to have knowledge and your ability to adapt because fishing with certain kinds of bait, it's a special, you know, fishing's a specialty. You gotta figure it out. If, if one bait's not working, you've got to use another type of bait, right? That's just how you fish. Fisher, fishermen often have to be unorthodox, if you will, in their strategy. 
They got to kind of step back, look at it all, figure out what to do. And I found a news, I found a news story that just fits this illustration perfectly. Hit After that. a slow start, a fisherman in Texas was able to reel in a huge bass, not with a worm, with a McDonald's chicken McNugget. The unusual <laughs> form of bait landed Matthew McNellis and his girlfriend a giant bass, weighing just under 11 pounds and measuring 24 and a half inches long. McNellis says he took the bass to Highview Marina south of Dallas, where it was declared a record-setting catch at Lake Bardwell. It was actually his girlfriend who suggested they use the chicken nugget as bait, and it worked. Largemouth bass usually feed on small fish, so the couple could have used fish McBites. But I'm sure the chicken nugget was a happy meal and a welcome change for the fish. After snapping a few picks and getting its measurements, they threw it back into the lake. McNellis says when it comes to his next fishing trip, he may try using some of Wendy's seasoned fries as bait. The fish in that lake are eating well. After a sl- <laughs> See? You got you know you got to use different baits. You can catch eleven pound bass on chicken nugget. I'm gonna try that after church. Um, if you're gonna if you're going to be like Jesus, if you're going to be like Him, you need to understand people. If you're gonna try, if you're gonna truly serve like Him, you need to try to understand them so you can serve them better. So you can help them more. So you can reach them. The people, the person at your, at your job, you know, you have to understand what, the, what's their background? What, what, what makes them tick? What experiences have they had in the past with maybe church people or whatever else? You've got to spend the time to understand. You can't just go in. One size does not fit all when it comes to fishing and when it comes to be making Jesus saying, I'll make you fishers of men. We need to understand people. We need to adapt to our environment. And I love this passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 19. Paul says this, Though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. And he, what Paul did when he went to different environments, he studied the culture before he went in and started talking. Okay, Look at the Bible. Paul studied the culture. Jesus, the Bible says in John that Jesus knew it was in a man. He knew it was in a person. He knew he could walk into this room and know every single one of you and your experiences, what you've been through in the past, all those things. What makes you who you are? I can't know that. I have to build a relationship with people so I can get to know them, so I can invest in them and care about them in a more more effective way. Verses 22 and 23 continue. To the weak, I became weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessing. Jesus took these, these, these qualities. Fishing, fishing in the fishermen of Galilee. He, he took these qualities and he translated them into reaching out with love for other people. He took what they did best and he translated. He said, I will make you fishers of men. God can use our gifts and our abilities to impact this world for Jesus Christ. No matter what, no matter who you are, what your background, no matter what your personality, God has someone specific for you to reach out to. He can use the qualities that you have. He can use your personality to reach out and care for other people. Now, 
God is calling us to use our gifts, talents, and abilities to impact the world. And let me be bold enough to say that if you're not using your gifts, your talents, and your abilities, your resources, whatever, if you're not using them, okay, to the glory of God, then you're sinning. Simple as that. It's wrong. It's a sin, okay, just by the fact that you're, you have those and you're not using them to build the kingdom of God, then, then that's a sin. You have to use what God has given you. He didn't give it to you for no reason. You know, there are really two, I talked in the very beginning about how the church is going in the wrong direction in some ways. There are two types of churches, alright? There's the service church and there's the serve us church. The service church is the life station church. Where people come and say, our job in being here together is to grow in our relationship with Jesus Christ, to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ, to learn, 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 grow, adapt, figure it out, and then go out into where God has placed me, in the environment that God has placed me, and to glorify God in the environment in which God has placed me. Work, school, doesn't really matter. Anywhere. The Serve Us Church says, that's the, that's the social club. We hired you to do this work, Pastor. We hired a couple other people, I think. That's evangelism's his job, discipleship's his job. Your job is to do this. His job is to do that. Her job and her job and her job is to do these things. And our job is to sit there and do absolutely nothing and watch you do. Really? That's not church, just so you know. I don't know what it is. It's not church. Church is service. We are, we are conformed to the image. We are saved, okay? We learn and grow, and we go and we impact people's life. Service, not serve us. We need to get into this lifeboat together. Third is a call to significance. It's a call to significance. In Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 11, it says, One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, The people were crowded around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out in deeper water. And let down the nets for a catch. I, I, am, I am so excited to preach a sermon just on this passage. Okay, just so you know. I'm going to work it out. Even today I'm going to start working on it. Simon answered, because he said, let down, uh, and let down for a catch. Not like, see, we'll see what happens. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, you say jump, I say how high, I will let down, he, I didn't, he didn't say that I did, um, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled the boat, both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. 
As you read this passage, you realize that Jesus was calling them to significance. He was calling them to something more, something better. Nothing wrong with being a fisherman, full-time job. They could glorify God in their work. But Jesus was saying, I'm going to use what you've learned. I'm going to use this. I'm going to give you even greater significance. Being a fisherman's fine. Being a fisherman for Jesus Christ. Being a follower of Christ. And whatever you do, doctor, lawyer, Indian chief, doesn't matter. Okay, Doing it to the glory of God gives you a purpose. Gives you significance. He was calling them to something more, something better. He takes these fishermen and he uses their gifts for a greater purpose, investing in the lives of the people around them. He says, I will make you fishers of men. I will make you, I will take the gifts that you have, all that you've learned, I will translate it in the way it should be translated, and I will make you fishers of men. He invited them. This is so amazing what he was doing and what he does to every single one of us. We just don't, we just don't follow we just don't respond he was invite he was inviting them to serve by his side and become a part of god's epic story remember i was saying last week if you're bored who's the boring one right not god God, Jesus Christ is inviting every single person in this room. I don't care if you come to church for the first time. He's inviting you to become a part of God's epic story. He's calling every single one of us. He's calling every single one of us to do that. He takes our, he takes our spiritual gifts, right? He takes our heart. He takes our, our abilities, he takes our experiences, he takes our personalities, he takes all of those things and he uses them for his glory, for greater purpose. All the things that make you the person that you are, good, bad, and indifferent, God works out all things for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Not just the good things, all things, even the areas where we struggle, even the places where we failed, God can turn that around, God turns everything upside down and uses everything to his glory if we just allow him to do that. His call to discipleship is radical. It is a radical call to discipleship. He's calling a group of people together who are willing to step out in faith no matter what the cost It doesn't matter what it costs. God is always looking, always looking for a remnant of people. Always looking for a remnant of people because God doesn't need a million people to change the world. He needs a remnant of dedicated disciples who are radical and willing to say how high when he says jump, who are willing to believe that what he says is true, who are willing to believe that we do have the resurrection power of Jesus Christ flowing through our veins. He's looking for those people. He doesn't need, he doesn't really need everyone. They should. And then the world would completely, completely different. But God only needs a remnant of people to do what he calls them to do. A group of people with a passion first. Here's the thing. We had those stairs. Remember the stairs? And those stairs are about changing yourself. He's calling a group of passionate people who are willing to first change themselves, go inside themselves and say, this personality flaw needs to change because it affects my ability to minister to other people with the gospel. He's calling us People with passion to change first themselves and then the world. 
If we change, if we are willing to change and become more like Jesus Christ, we will change the world. Let me tell you something. This church is on the move. Okay? We're having all kinds of problems. You know what our problems come from? Growth. Okay? We're having all kinds of things we need to do. We have to, we're all, all kinds of, but we are, God is truly working in this church. We have a clear vision. And like Jesus, our strategy is completely unorthodox. It's completely unorthodox. We're doing things that people go, what are you, why are you, why do you guys do this? And why are you involved in that? And all this kind of stuff. And people think we're kind of nutty, but it's unorthodox. We're going to use the gifts of every single member to impact. Here's the thing. That's our vision. To use the gifts, the talents and abilities of every single member of the church to impact our community, to impact our nation, and to impact the world with the love of Jesus Christ. Sunday morning here, is only one connection point. We are going, and we're, we have been, but we're going to accelerate this. We're going to use this facility, not just this one, the Grace Impact Center. Some of you don't even know what's in these other buildings. Okay, you need to take a walk. One Sunday, I'm going to stop right in the middle, and we're going to take a walk. I promise, we're going to do that. Okay? You need to know what's over there and how you can use it. This Sunday morning is only one, one connecting point. It's only one. We're going to use this campus every single day, in every single way, that allows us to touch and impact the lives of the people in our own community and around the world. That's what we're going to do. We're in the process, okay, we're in the process right now of changing the exterior of every building on this campus. Changing the exterior, the entryway here, the entryway over there, the entryway, so that we allow people, so it's, it's a little easier to navigate this facility, right? It's hard. If you come here for the first time, you don't even know where the front door is to this church, to the church building, let alone any other building. That's going to change so people can more easily navigate. It makes it more inviting. That's going to be happening this year. We're expanding the, the Orca Center. If you've gone down there, you should drive past or go into the Orca Center. Phase two, new, new entryway. There's a deck there. We're expanding that so we can reach out even more to people in the marketplace. Why? That's where people live their lives. So we want to reach out with love to people in the marketplace. We want to help people in our community save their businesses. We have the giftedness in this body. We're using the giftedness. This isn't a dream this is happening in this body to help people save their businesses to help people grow their businesses we're meeting their felt needs in order to be able to reach their reach their spiritual needs to be able to share the love of jesus christ we're adding we're going to be adding in the next year or so a commercial kitchen in the grace impact center you say what do we need a commercial kitchen for oh a lot of reasons we want to it allows us to create job opportunities we can train people to create job opportunities we can help people with cooking and nutrition classes over at the, at the, the food pantry, the Mason food pantry. We can teach people how to cook more nutritious meals for more community outreach. The, the, the people that are in charge of entrepreneurship for the, for the community, for different towns, have said, if you had a commercial kitchen, we could fill it with people in the community who are looking for space to, to, to make their cupcakes, to make their whatever they sell. They, they can't afford to buy an entire commercial kitchen, but they would rent this space from you and then we have an even greater opportunity to reach out to people in our community this campus is now becoming the place where mason's farmer's market is going to be 
We call it the Orca Market. The first ones this coming Wednesday. Pile out there, man. Go out. It's going to be. It's going to be like a street fair. It's going to be awesome, and it's going to be on this campus. And the town of Mason is partnering with us, sending over police. They're putting. They're advertising in all their all their magazines and their and their websites, letting people know that this campus is where the Mason Market is going to be. We're partnering with our own community. We were called to work with the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services of the, uh, in Washington, D.C. They called us to help them to look for ways to create jobs, okay, and to develop entrepreneurship for people who are coming out of prison and are coming off addiction to heroin. They know, they heard what we were doing here as a faith-based community. Asked me to come to Washington, D.C. and share with them so that other faith-based communities and other uh Religious, or not religious organizations, but community organizations can learn from us what we're doing, how we create jobs, how we accelerate businesses. We were called by the U.S. government. We're working with the federal government of Nigeria and the United Nations right now. We're doing this right now to solve the ecological and economic problem that is, that is basically devastating the state of Kano in Nigeria because of the, because their, their water supply is destroyed from tanneries. And we have the technology through one of our business trees to go there. They're, they, they're spending $30 million to set up a water treatment plant to use our technology that we've had through Spectra to go there and to clean up that water. Here's the cool thing. You, you guys gotta come with me on this one, okay? We talk about, man, I, I always say, man, Lord, I want to walk across the water. I want to pass through the sea. I want to take on the lions. I want to fight the giants. Listen to this. Cano has 10 million people in it. Four million people are affected by this problem that they're having with the pollution. Four million people. Their eyes are watering, can't breathe very well, can't drink the water very much. It's an ecological disaster, an economic disaster. We go in to Kano, which is 10, basically 9 million Muslims. 4 million Muslims are being affected. This is behind, okay, there's a line in Nigeria, 95% Christian, 95% Muslim. This is in the Muslim section. What happens when we go into Kano and we are able to solve this ecological and economic disaster? Use your head just for a second. The opportunity to minister to people. We, we solve that problem. What other problems are they having? Can we go in there as the body? We can't go in there because that's a dangerous place. We're going to go in there. If they continue to move this forward, we're going in there from an economic standpoint. Spectre's going in there. I, well, I shouldn't want to tell you what I want to do on, because it's on tape, but, um, we, we're going, we have a plan, not only an economic plan, we have a spiritual plan to impact the lives of millions and millions of peaceful people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is what God is doing through the church. This is what God is doing through a remnant of people. Here's the question. Are you ready? Are you ready, church, to walk on water? Or are you comfortable? Are you content with just watching from shore? That's the question I got for you this morning. There are so many things that God, there are so many things that blow. I, can, I don't have time to even get into the detail. You know how encouraging it is when the Surgeon General of the United States of America encourages you for what you're doing on your property? 
we got to ask ourselves, are we comfortable just watching from shore? Or if God opens up an opportunity to walk on the water, are we going to go out and try? Are we going to do it? We will only... We will only scratch the surface if we, come, if, we, if we ever become a social club. That's where our heart stops because we need resources. You know, the giving so far has been great in our church. So I love speaking from a position of strength and not weakness. The giving has been really great. But to do the things that we're going to do is going to take more resources. Ask yourself, have you really sacrificed or just kind of, doesn't affect me, I just kind of, I'm not, I'm not trying to shame anyone, I'm really not, I'm asking questions here. I mean, I'll ask it of myself. Have, have I given to the point where I actually have sacrificed? Because this is people's eternal destiny that we're talking about. Have we given just enough because it doesn't affect us or have we sacrificed because we're going to need to sacrifice in order to accomplish what God is calling us to? We will only scratch the surface if we become a social club instead of a life-giving station. The last thing I want you to, I want to ask you before, just close your eyes for a second. I want you to just think about this one question. Are you more concerned about your comfort or your calling? Are we as a church more concerned about our comfort or our calling? I just described to you what Jesus is calling us to do. I described to you what the Bible commands of us to do. We're not there yet. It's okay. God's patient. God's loving. He's merciful. But we need to get there. Jesus says, come and see. Don't glance. I'm not interested in your glance. Come and see. And when you recognize who I am, drop everything Drop your nets. Drop whatever's holding you back. Let go of your fears and follow me. And I will make you fishers of men. Father God, we thank you. We praise you for who you are. We ask, dear God, that you would bless us, Lord God, in our efforts to make a difference in this world. For the glory of your son, Jesus Christ, Lord God, we pray it. Amen. Love you. Have a great, great week.